welcome back to BDSM Reimagined. I am Kitty and I'm 55. I live in the southwest of England and I am an emerging dom. Um, I would say that I'm a soft dom, a pleasure dom. Mm, yes, welcome. But also, you are our first female guest, which we are so happy to have. So thank you. I finally got some company. Thanks for joining us, Kitty. You're welcome. It's lovely to be here. Yes, fantastic. So, Kitty, you found us through email, actually. Uh, you emailed us and you were sharing your experience of just coming out as a dom and exploring that. And I've seen some photos on your Instagram as well and, and some of your expressions, which is exciting. It's exciting to kind of go through that that process. So thanks for taking us on board with that and just sharing your your time. I was really excited to find you because I didn't know anyone else like me. And the way that Indy came into the world, uh, the Dom world, uh, was similar to me. So, yeah, it was great. Yes, and there was also some overlap with the uh, fantasies that we'll be reading out later on with Indy as well. Yeah. So, Kitty, let's get straight into it. It would be great to know a bit more about you and hopefully we could start with early on in your life. Can you tell us more about... I don't know how far back you want to go. I mean, your parents or where you were born or? Yeah, no problem. Um, I was born in Bristol and my parents are both Catholic. My mum's Irish and my dad's from Burma, which is known as Myanmar now. And he came over when he was 10 and my mum came to England when she was 17. So they met in Bristol. I grew up going to Catholic schools and... We went to church and until I was in my mid-teens, I guess I kind of went along with that and then started to question Catholicism and completely turned against it at that point. I That was difficult with my parents for a while. But then as soon as I left home to go to university, that wasn't an issue anymore. They accepted that I didn't believe in the same things as them. So growing up, it was highly... Um emphasize the catholic way and yeah yeah it was we went to church every sunday um we didn't eat meat on fridays um my parents didn't believe in sex before marriage yeah so it was pretty strict got it can you say more about what that was like for you growing up because all my close friends were catholic i guess it didn't feel that strange i hated church <laughs> <laughs> It was really boring. <laughs> but the whole oppressiveness of Catholicism, the fact that homosexuality was a sin um, and you would go to hell for it, all those things didn't sit well with me even when I was really young. Because for me, I felt that if God was good, he would love everyone regardless of their sexuality or and if he forget if he forgave sins, then why was it an issue to have sex before marriage or all those things just felt hypocritical to me. So often we would have arguments over dinner. Sounds like you had an inquiring mind from early on, or you were Yeah. I tend not to just accept things really. I, I think about them and whether I feel it's right or just if things are unfair. I find that very difficult to accept. And so how was that, say, at the dinner table? You mentioned just then that it might be conflict. 
Yeah, I think I think I probably provoked my dad quite a lot by talking about contentious subjects. For example, abortion. So my parents would be completely against abortion. And I'd probably be about 14 or 15 when I wanted to talk about it and find out why they were so adamant that it would always be wrong. And I would come up with scenarios where I think it would be completely okay and justifiable. But yeah, so we would argue and I didn't feel emotionally close to my parents, I think, as a teenager. I certainly wouldn't have spoken to them about any emotional issues I had. Can you say more about that, that you felt you weren't emotionally close? I always felt like they loved me. Um, That wasn't an issue, but I just felt very different to them because their belief system was so different to mine. And I've got an older sister who probably towed the line more than I did. (laughs) So, So I seemed like trouble, even though I wasn't. You know, I didn't go out drinking and taking drugs and not coming home or anything like that. I wasn't that kind of rebellious teenager, really. Um, not until I left home. <laughs> Got it. So it sounds like you're talking about being quite questioning and reflective and considering views, and you grew up in a family where there were some very strong views that were held quite tightly. And so that's, yeah. that's part of the dynamic that you had growing up. Is that a way of putting it? Yeah, that's right. And um, my dad was a very strong presence as well in the house. And he tended to just tell us what the rules were. And if we questioned them, the answer would be, it's my house, my rules, and he wouldn't explain. Um, So that would apply to what time I was allowed to stay out until. And yeah, that caused quite a lot of frustration when I was 16, 17 and starting to go out at night with my friends. So the fact that there was no conversation with him, no room for coming to a different agreement, that was really difficult. Can you say more about that? If if you met him now, you would think he was a really gentle guy and everyone loves him. And he is that, you know, there is that part of him. But he was also very traditional um, and I guess a little bit sexist as well quite overbearing at times when I was growing up and a little bit scary. And he had ideas about how my mum should behave as well. So my mum wasn't allowed to work. So she had to stay home and just look after us. And I always thought that was completely unfair. And she tried. She, She did. She taught herself to type. She was a nurse. And when they got married, she stopped nursing. Um, And later, when we were a little bit older, she taught herself to type and got a job in an office and she did it for a week. But he didn't like it because there were other men there. And he said, you need to stop doing it. Otherwise, I'll come and get you out of the office. So she gave up. And even now, I find that really hard that he kind of changed the course of her life in a way that she didn't want it to be. Mm. Yeah, what was that like for you to see that when she'd gone for that week and that was his response? I think I was really young, probably about 10, um, but I hated it. I wanted her to kick against it. And there were even times when I thought she should leave him 
I just think the way he loved was not right. I think it came from a place of wanting to keep her for himself, but also he came from a family that had come to England as immigrants and because he's Anglo-Burmese, he's partly British, um, he felt that when he came to England in the 1950s, he would be accepted, but they were foreigners and they weren't and they suffered a lot of racism. So his life was difficult. So I think he had a lot of background stuff going on as well. Then he married a white woman, an Irish woman, and that was difficult for both of them because my mum's family was strict Catholic and white from Irish countryside. So they had that whole race thing going on as well. So if it's okay, can we understand more about the dynamic with your mum and dad? So there's a few things to start unpacking here. Partly you're mentioning your dad. So was he a migrant from the 1950s from Burma? Yeah. That's right. And how, how old would he have been when he came? He was 10. Got it. And do you know about his life beforehand? Before he came to England? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they were quite a well-off family and they had some, some staff. They had a cook and a nanny. He went to boarding school in Burma and... He was very small when he went to boarding school and had to fly there. So it was far away from his family. He just had his older brother with him. I think he was about seven when he went there. And there was, at some point, they were in a Japanese prisoner of war camp, but they were treated well there. Sorry, just to and ask, then, who was in the Japanese prisoner of war camp? My dad and his family. Um, and then the British came and so... That, when my dad left, Burma was under British rule. And is that part of why the family left? Why did they leave? Yeah, it was part of why the family left. They felt that it was all going to be too difficult in Burma and they would have a better life in England. Lots of people left. Many of dad's family came here. Mm. So hearing about his history early on, it sounds like he had a good life, a good quality of life with some affluence, level of affluence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's some things going on in his early years, boarding school, but then prisoner of war camp. I mean, there's so many weight behind those words. I don't even know how much we could. Yeah. So there's some complexity there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk very much about it. We To get anything out of him about life in Burma was difficult. And he wanted to forget it. When he came to England, he just wanted to be accepted as British. He wasn't really. He's quite dark-skinned and looked very different. So, yeah, they suffered a lot of racism when they came to England and, and they struggled to to have a good life at first. And that's part of what you're saying is that when their intention in going to England was to have a better life and then that expectation, it sounds like over time it was it was not met in lots of difficult ways. Yeah, that's right. And then you described when he's in England that it was hard for him, including some racism. Is that right? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. Um, The 1950s until more recently, you know, 
racism has been rife here. Uh, even when I was growing up in the 80s, I, I was often called names and felt like an outsider in some ways, which seems crazy now because I don't think someone who looks like me would be given racist abuse nowadays. Mm. And then, so we'll come back to that. It would be good to understand that. Looking at your mum now, though, you mentioned she was Irish Catholic. Do you know much about her early life? Yeah. Um, well, she was born into a really big family. She's got five brothers and two sisters. Where is she in the lineup? She is second oldest. She's one of the oldest. Okay. And as soon as she was old enough, she came to England to earn money. She needed to do something. And being a nurse was something that a lot of Irish people did. So she came to England when she was 17 and lived with an aunt at first and trained to be a nurse. She met dad quite soon after coming to England, I think, possibly when she was about 20 and was married in... Mm, she was 22, I think, when she got married. Mm. Yeah, so she's um, she's been in her nursing career for a bit of time but not like, not that long. No. I don't know if she even finished her qualification. So really she did it for a short period of time and then stopped. Oh, so it was also stu it was studying mostly and then, yeah, got it. Yeah. yeah. And so that's when they meet. And so early on, I think you mentioned you've got an older sister. I do, yeah. And so in the in the early years, there's you, first her, then you? Yeah. And I've got a younger brother as well. Oh, you've got a younger brother. Okay. Yeah. And so can you tell us a little bit more about your early life and what mum and dad were like together early on from what you remember? Um, I remember some lovely family holidays, camping, and dad was really fun. When uh, when we were away, um, yeah, we spent a lot of time in the sea with him. He taught us to swim. I'd say we were we were happy. Our early years were good. And the dynamic with mum and dad, when you're talking about some of these ways that dad was possessive um, or restricting the what she could do. I mean, maybe as you're talking, I'm wondering if it was because she, you were little and the focus was on raising the children and. You also weren't yet developed in your, you know, formative, in your sort of um, ideas about life and, you know, it's more when we get in our teenage years that we start to question things more. Yeah. Do you think that's part of why there was more of a kind of? Yeah, I definitely think that being a parent to teenagers is tricky. <laughs> and, yeah, there was probably more understanding as I grew up about their relationship. So when I was younger, it all seemed good and happy. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you would have become more aware maybe of some of the dynamics as you got older. Mm. I don't remember lots of arguments when when I was really young. It was only as I was getting older that there were some. And that, there was also a time when we were in Ireland and somebody said something racist to Dad in a pub and it felt really bad. And my uncles were furious about it and they got involved and spoke to the guy in the pub. And then after that trip to Ireland, Dad didn't want to go. So 
it meant that mum wasn't seeing her family. I think we used to go once a year or something. So I remember arguments about that. Dad saying he, he wouldn't go. He was going to refuse to go to Ireland. And I was saying to her, why don't you go on your own? What, why are you waiting for him to go with you? And I think she did. She went, she went at least once with just my sister. And I was left at home with dad and my brother, which I wasn't happy about. <laughs> so it sounds like she did take some of your suggestions on board. Yeah. yeah, maybe not because I'd suggested it, though. Are your siblings similar to you in the way of thinking and, and reflecting and seeing these dynamics and pushing mum to, to take these more independent steps? Um, I remember speaking to my sister once about it and saying, why doesn't she leave him? And I think my sister agreed, but it would have come more from me. My sister would would have wanted to maintain the status quo more than me, I think. I'm glad they didn't split up now. They're really good together now. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know what course their lives would have taken if they had done. Mm. Thanks so far so much for being so open about it. <laughs> it's so hard to I be like put on the spotlight so we really appreciate mm. it and as we're going I think something I should have done at the beginning and I'm sorry I didn't is um you know it's really up to you how much or how little you say we're not when we're asking these questions don't feel pressure to have to answer them it's really important that you you feel like you you're telling your story but in your way and how you want to do it so as much as possible when we're asking these questions please do just you know stop us if we're mm. going directions you don't feel like you don't want you don't want to go um, okay, thanks, Cindy. Yeah, I kind of feel like I want you to understand the whole picture, so I feel mm. okay. Right, that's good. So, Kitty, you mentioned that when you were growing up, your father had the final say in things. What kind of felt experience or, or place did that kind of leave you? And also, are there any examples that, that stand out? My older sister didn't go to university, she didn't want to go. She had a job in a bank and married the bank manager and had children and stayed close to home. And I wanted the opposite of that. I wanted to get away from home and be independent. So I told my parents I was applying to go to university to study psychology and they didn't want me to go. Dad said I could only go to university in Bristol and it's really difficult to get in in Bristol. <laughs> I wouldn't have got the grades anyway. But I, there was no way I wanted to be at home. So I applied to lots of universities quite far away <laughs> mm. um, and ended up studying in Manchester. So that was when he didn't get the final say. So, yeah, it felt good to be able to be free and independent and myself. How was that received by your <laughs> father when you did say, well, I got into this university and I am going to be leaving? I can't quite remember. I guess it wasn't as explosive as I expected it to be because he could be quite angry and he would punch doors sometimes. Um, and when we were kids, we got smacked. I wasn't beaten um, and I don't feel as though I have trauma about that, but I hated feeling that he had the control and I couldn't fight back. Can, can you say more about that? Yeah. Um, if I'd 
argued with dad and he was starting to get angry, I would be afraid that I would get smacked. And I I think he probably did it until I was in my mid-teens. And it would be one smack probably probably on my back or my legs, I can't remember, and then I would go to my room. But I would feel enraged that I couldn't fight back. Yeah, what was that like for you? Really infuriating. And I tend not to get angry very often, but I would be just full of rage and upset that he would want to do that as well. And still angry about whatever it was we'd been arguing about that he wasn't listening to. So in parallel, there's a lot of strong, difficult feelings going on. Yeah. Is it partly not not feeling heard? Yeah, it's not feeling heard. That was definitely part of it. But also that I felt it was wrong that he would hit me. I just felt you shouldn't do that. Mm. Mm. Which is quite commendable because many children and adolescents feel that's just what it is. So they don't place a moral layer on top of it. It's just, okay, that's how behaviour is managed. So the fact that you have that Mm. reflective or wider perspective of that is not how you do things and that's just not right is quite commendable. Yeah. Mm. But now, having children of my own... I uh, I kind of slightly sympathise with that feeling of when they really wind you up. Mm. Um, but I d- didn't act in the same way towards my kids. So it sounds like you were saying growing up that the climate, the sort of weather in the house was ruled by Dad. Is that a way of putting it? Yeah, it was absolutely ruled by Dad, Yeah. And so part of that was he would just tell you what to do. The rules were set by him. Mum had directions about what she could and couldn't do. Yeah. And she's quite a strong woman anyway. So I, I, even then I couldn't understand why she accepted so much from him, you know, his, his way of doing things. Yeah, he always had the final say. And it also sounds quite traditional or conservative in the sense that there was ways that he asked her to stay at home and not work and even when she wanted to, there was opposition to that. It sounds like there was also some possible possessiveness from your dad or jealousy about mum being around men, other men, seeing that as a threat. Yeah, I think I only saw it in, in that time when she got the job and he said he didn't want her working with men. We used to have parties at Christmas and New Year and there were always other men around and I don't remember there ever being an issue then. Mm. She did end up getting a different job, but she was working as a home care assistant, so she was working with old people and there were no threats. So she was allowed to do that part-time. And if you had to guess, do you know what your dad was so opposed to? Because it's quite a lot to say you can't work because you'll be near men. What's the threat for him? Hmm. I think it was partly the threat of other men, but also he had this idea of what a family should be like. And maybe that came from Burma, that the woman was at home. Um, And 
maybe he would feel emasculated if she was working. He was supposed to be the breadwinner. I don't know if that was what he was thinking. Were there aspects of your dad trying to preserve the way of life from Burma? Often first generation, it's that sense of trying to maintain the culture and preserve the, I mean, he sounds like he had a great life early on. Do you think that's part of what was going on too, trying to bring that back somehow? Mm. No, I don't think so. It would be more likely to be trying to be traditional old British than being Burmese. He wanted to forget being Burmese. Perhaps maintaining that family image of he's the breadwinner, he's the one that looks after the family financially, would hopefully assimilate him into the the British culture. He won't be an outcast as much if he was the one who was providing for the family, had the that nuclear family position, etc. What was his work? Um, he worked as a, a gas engineer, and he worked for British Gas for his whole life, um, worked really hard, ended up with a great pension and retired early, so they're, they're good now. Maybe he had an important role, I think is what we're saying, or he wanted to maintain an important role. Yeah, I think so. So moving forward, Kitty, thank you so much for just telling us about your, your family. You come into high school, and in high school, there's a lot of different experiences. Sexuality arises, also interaction, social interactions and comparisons. So who were you in high school, and what was your sort of emergence of your sexuality as well in that time? Okay, um, I was really happy at school. I did quite well, but I wasn't one of the completely square kids either. <laughs> so I was... Yeah, I had lots of friends and mostly enjoyed school. But I wasn't, when I was in my early teens and at that time when people started about thinking about having relationships, I wasn't popular with boys. I had three close friends who were all really pretty um, and they developed breasts and I didn't. <laughs> and that's what the boys were interested in. So. Yeah, I wasn't pretty or cool, but I had lots of boys as friends. So there's a lot in what you've just said there, because it sounds like as you're becoming a teenage girl, there's all this comparison going on, partly. You've got three close friends that are, in terms of their physical body, more, more I'm putting quotes up, attractive to guys. So what's that yeah. doing to your sense of self-worth? It's not good. <laughs> I think I I didn't I didn't dwell on that a lot actually at the time. But it but it really wasn't good because there were guys who I would have huge crushes on that would last years as well. And my friends would know about that and I would never be teased or anything about it and I would usually be friends with the guy. But often my friends would get with him and and there was one guy at school who I liked for years, and all three of my friends were with him at some point, and I would just pretend it didn't matter. So, yeah, it wasn't great. Well, what was all of that like for you? I guess I was envious of the way they looked, but I was nothing like them, so there was yeah, I couldn't become like them. I was skinny, and also that was the 80s too, and 
people were still racist. I was one of the very few brown kids in the school. So I was different. I didn't want to be white, though. Thankfully, that wasn't something that I... I loved my Burmese heritage. So, I don't know, I just felt unattractive to guys. So on one level, you did really love that part of yourself that was Burmese and darker. Yeah. On another level, and I think we know about socialisation of women and the importance placed on physical appearance and how that's so matched up with it. I mean, you're telling me you're great at school, you sound like you're very self-reflective, uh, but it's like these qualities don't really matter in a way. In a way, when you're a teenage girl, it's all about how you look. And yeah. it sounds horrible that you had these three girls over time that you knew yeah. get the guy you really liked. <laughs> sounds yeah. like really tough. Yeah, and often they weren't really interested in that guy either. So, you know, it would be a brief thing and be done and my heart would be broken. <laughs> It's just so ironic because listeners, we can see Kitty on this conversation. And for me, you're like the most white. <laughs> you're whiter than us, I think. <laughs> um, you're, I, I would never even, you wouldn't, that question wouldn't come into my mind. And if, even if you weren't white, mm. it's fine. But it's just ironic that that was a, yeah. a focal point of your experience growing up of having that against you. <laughs> yeah. There were kids in class who would shout out racist things. There was one in particular who often I was called a Paki, and obviously I would tell them my father's not from Pakistan. You're being completely ignorant, but, you know, someone who's being racist doesn't care about that. And this guy would shout out Paki, even in a class where we had a really strict teacher. The teacher would be maybe facing the board and writing something for the class, and he would shout shout that out and everybody would laugh and I would just have to laugh along with it. Mm. Oh, so that's really important to understand because there's not just your physical body as boys see it, but then there's your appearances. It's how how the peers around you interact with it and the teasing. Mm. Yeah, mostly the racist stuff didn't really get me down. It upset my brother a lot. Sometimes it was scary because at that time there were groups of skinhead boys that would hang around street corners who followed the National Front Party and they were looking out for anyone who was different and shout racist abuse. So then that was scary. How old were you at that time when that was going on? Probably about 14, 15. So it's a way of saying this as men in your life have this real threat to them, this real intensity and vindiction at the, up until this stage, at least, I, I can hear elements of that. I know you described your father as being also quite wonderful. You had really nice holidays. But there was also that that control, the injustice around some of his management around behaviour. But then also in school, this one instance of the teacher who didn't really retaliate, but also all the boys and the girls as well. On corners in the street, there was some skin, quote, skinhead guys who were also looking out for difference and so it just feels like when you're speaking there's this element of men at this stage being quite suffocating or quite intense yeah yeah some men were menacing and scary but the guys that I liked at school were probably the more gentle ones 
who, you know, so I did know guys around that time who were really not like that. Good advice. And in, so in terms of your relationship history, if we look at when you started to date, and again, we've got to remember the conservative family you're from in terms of, um, you know, no sex before marriage you mentioned and being Catholic and all that. So that's the backdrop. What was your relationship history like? When did you first start to date or who were you interested in? Well, at my secondary school, I didn't date anyone. I kissed a few boys, but as I said, I just wasn't appealing to guys. I think I, then I went to sixth form college from 16 to 18 and there were lots of different new people there. And I felt as though I kind of came into myself a little bit more in my later teens. And, oh, I had terrible teeth as a kid too. So I had my teeth fixed. I had them crowned when I was 15. And looking back, I don't know why something wasn't done with them earlier. So not only was I different because of my racial heritage, but also my teeth were terrible. So boys didn't like that either. (laughs) That's yet another physical quality of yours that you, you can't be helped. So it's it's that same thing yeah. of you come into the world and there's all these prop like quote problems that other people see. Yeah. Um, so my first boyfriend was when I was 17, and he I met him at Sixth Form College. We were friends at first, and he just split up with someone who he was still in love with. So he kind of would tell me quite a lot. He still really liked his ex-girlfriend, but he liked me a bit. And I was really into him. And he was the first person I had sex with. And I didn't have any sexual guilt, which is strange for me. I don't quite understand how I got away with that. Um, Even though I grew up Catholic and my parents were strict, I never felt guilty. I didn't feel as though it was wrong to have sex. When you look back, what do you think was made that possible? Is it what you've just described, that you you seemed quite sure of, in a way, would you put it as sure of right and wrong or just sure of just and fair or something like that seems to really drive you in your way of thinking? Yeah, yeah I think I'm very sure about what's just and fair, yeah. And I think, it, you know, if you want sex with someone, and they're happy about it, then what's wrong with it? And I always felt that. So it sounds like from early on there's this idea of differentiation. I don't know if you've heard of it, but the idea with this is that as we grow and develop, we're also differentiating from our parents, from their views, from their ways of seeing things, how they do things. And the differentiation of self uh, can be quite a process because as we can see with your sister, she was more aligned with their views. So, of course, she's probably differentiated in ways, but then there's been fundamental ways she hasn't had to do that, that there's, there's an alignment, whereas it yeah. sounds like for you that there's this real tension or conflict points that come up with how you were and how you were in the family unit. Yeah. And as I'm hearing you, it sounds like there was a part of you that could differentiate, that could without a sort of having a conflict about it, you could be, okay, they might feel that way about sex, but this is how I feel about it. I just want to yeah. highlight that. that's not actually quite common. Often pe- people can be very conflicted about that in ways. 
Yeah. No, I never felt conflicted about it. I, I've just felt, yeah, I'm different to you. Mm. Mm. How did this relationship go? What was the process? Well, I ended up, his parents were away and I think I lied and told my parents I was staying at my friend's house and I stayed over at his. And we had sex, but I knew that he still really cared about his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, sorry. And they hadn't been together for a few months. It wasn't like weeks. And the sex was bad. (laughs) It didn't really hurt, but it wasn't pleasurable for me. And it was over pretty quickly. And he turned over and went to sleep and I went to the bathroom and cried. Do you remember what was going Um, on? Yeah, I felt like he didn't really care about me, that he wished I was the other girl. And I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted my first time to be better than that Mm. and more loving. Yeah, it's quite upsetting, isn't it, to think that that's, that that's how it played out. Yeah. But I didn't want to be a virgin anymore, so I was glad <laughs> it was done. <laughs> and then I stayed with him. We we stayed together for a year and a half or something, and things got a lot better. And I felt like he did love me. So there were periods of time that were really good with him. But looking back, I feel like, I shouldn't have done that to myself. And so looking ahead then, what happened with that relationship? How did it end? Or I outgrew him, I think, is what happened. Uh, yeah, things were good for a year or so. Um, his parents didn't approve of me, um, partly because of my brownness. <laughs> I think it was mainly that, actually. I remember first having dinner with his parents, who were quite wealthy, and his grandmother. And the grandmother lived next door, so she was quite a close part of their family. She was there for every meal. And at the meal, she said, um, you know, something along the lines of, you know, some people might not look that dark, but they could end up having a black baby and then they'll know. And that was obviously aimed at me and my relationship with And what I remember was I felt that the rest of the family should have challenged that, and they didn't. No one said anything. Mm. Yes, what was that like for you? I felt as though the parents kind of agreed with her that I wasn't good enough. And it's so based on your appearance, isn't it? A lot of what, if we're starting to draw a theme out, it does really seem like you're being evaluated on how you look or don't or not look or qualities or aspects of your appearance as somehow the the arbiter of your self-worth. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think they were kind of, they wanted him to be with a white rich girl all right, so let's let's look forward in your relationship history. So you've been with it sounds like that ended because you grew out of him 
there were some issues. What was happening next in your love life? So I I ended my relationship with him and then I went away to university. So that that relationship was 17 to 18 or 18 and a half, something like that. And then I, I went to university and soon got into a relationship with a guy I was sharing a house with. So I was in a house with five guys and one girl. And he, the guy I was seeing then was a very gentle, sweet guy. It wasn't exciting, but it was, it felt very safe. And sexually it wasn't, it was okay. But it wasn't until later that I, I learned to express what I wanted to happen sexually. So it was very vanilla. Also, I think that conditioning women go through about pleasing the man and the emphasis being on the man in the bedroom and finding it hard to actually directly say anything about what you might like or want. It's a young mm. girl or young young woman. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Absolutely. And at that time, if I didn't orgasm, it was too bad. You know, that was the end. After the man had come, it was finished. Mm. Mm. So vanilla yeah. and not, not at all what you'd expect from uh, a good sexual connection. Yeah, exactly. There is, is actually also as equally emphasised. Did you learn to express yourself within that relationship or in other, other relationships afterwards? I think it took a long time, Michael. There were a couple more relationships after that that were similar, although one was with a guy who was very possessive and uh, a little bit scary. I had finished university and I was seeing this guy and the sex was, it was good, but still wasn't brilliant. And it still ended when the man came. That was, that was it. It was finished. And he became too overbearing and didn't like me seeing guys on, on my own. So, So once one of my friends came to visit me at university, my boyfriend turned up at my house at the same time when we'd made an arrangement that I was going to spend some time with my friend without him. And at that point, I thought, I don't want to be with you anymore. I hadn't given him any reason to feel like that about me, to mistrust me. And I'd already applied to work in Japan after university. So I got a job as a teacher in Japan. And this boyfriend didn't want me to go And I tried to end my relationship with him and he put his hands around my throat and said something like, if I can't have you, I don't want anyone else to have you. And I gave in. I said, okay, I won't end our relationship. But I knew I was going to Japan in a month or so or whatever. So I I knew I'd be away from him. But I did go to Japan. And then when I was there, he called me and said he bought a ticket and he was coming out to Japan. (laughs) He didn't come. He didn't come. That was a mess. It sounds like quite scary at times with what you were describing there. And it's just so good to hear that you were able to, despite him not having any good boundaries or lacking any respect for your, you know, your your life in a way, um, that you did get away to get out of that. Yeah. And looking back, he was he was mentally unstable from the minute I met him. Yeah. 
just conscious with time and, and the episode, you um, and I don't want to brush over these because I think there's some very there's lots of value in these experiences. But when we were talking online, you mentioned that you went to explore your sexuality with females. Mm. At what stage is this? And also, you did mention that you're you're a mother as well. So I'm now I've got all these like, question marks coming up. Yeah. So I guess when I was growing up, I always felt that everyone was bisexual and I thought that they were too afraid to explore it. Um, I don't feel that now. (laughs) Um, And I felt attracted to girls always, but mostly to boys. So I just... I didn't explore any attraction to girls until actually at some sleepovers with my friends, we would do stuff. (laughs) Not too much, though, just a bit of stroking. And I would have taken it further. I was probably 15 or 16 around that time then. And the girls I was with were close friends who would say, yeah, it feels great, but it's wrong. We shouldn't do it. So nothing went further at that point. The first time I had sex with a girl was I was at university and it was a friend. Uh, We were 19 and it it was drunken but fun. And I definitely would have explored that relationship with her more, but she didn't want to. Yeah, so I wasn't really upset by that. I still felt much more attracted to boys, but I thought, hey, this is fun too. (laughs) Why don't we do this? And then in my 20s, I had a few threesomes with friends, and they were also very drunken but fun. And and I felt completely okay about being with both male and females. But I didn't feel like I could ever have a romantic relationship with a woman at that point. So there were always, like... From my mid-teens onwards, there were always little interactions with women, but nothing serious until much more recently. I was with my boy's father for 19 years, so that was a very long period of time together, and that relationship was very on and off, and I often didn't feel good enough for him. I met him in Japan, so I met him in my early 20s, is English, also a very strong man, very serious, and I he made me feel intellectually inferior to him. And right from the beginning of our relationship, he said, you know, this is just a thing while you're in Japan, and I was only there for a year. Um, and he said, I kind of see you as frivolous and inconsequential. I remember those words. But actually, it turned out I wasn't because we were together for ages and had two kids. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I was always striving for his approval, his love. I felt like I wanted the relationship way more than he did. What was that like for you? It was really painful. Yeah. And sometimes I felt like I almost had his approval and his love, but not quite. And I left Japan after my year and he stayed there. And I thought that was going to be the end of our relationship. But it wasn't. He did He did want me. 
So he asked me to go and meet up with him in Thailand. So we did that for a while. But then for years afterwards, instead of me following my career, I worked in mental health after I did my psychology degree. And I was an assistant psychologist. And I didn't have a burning ambition. So I often question why why was I not ambitious for myself? I didn't particularly want a career. I felt as though I should have one. Um, but I wanted him more than I wanted anything else. Would you say that there was a dynamic where you were trying to, you know, you're thinking, am I good enough? Is And just getting him to prove me right or prove me wrong about that. Was it that there was a dynamic where you were always on a daily basis either getting yes or no's to that? Yeah, in a way, yes. I knew he thought I was fun and he liked having sex with me. Yeah, but I, I felt like he would rather I did have a career and that I wanted to talk about the things that he wanted to talk about. He talked a lot about politics or abstract ideas and I'm not really like that. <laughs> So, yeah, I felt he wanted something else and I couldn't be that anyway. How did the relationship end? Well, we, for about eight years or so after I first met him, it was on and off. Um, He went away to South America. He spent time in Brazil and Argentina. And often he would see me when he was home and then write to me by letter um, and say that he missed me and did I want to come? So I would often go and spend months at a time with him traveling in South America. And then there was a period of time when it felt like we were very much together and we would have a future. And we were in Argentina and I got pregnant. We had always been really careful with contraception and that time he didn't use a condom. And there was no reason for it. He just didn't. And that was the only time. And I said, I'm ovulating. I could get pregnant. And he just smiled. So I knew that he committed. That was was how I knew. And I was pregnant. And we came back to England and had our son. And we were together. And then we had another child two years later. But we didn't get married. So my parents didn't really approve of that. (laughs) And we were to... It was difficult after having children we he started a business we hardly ever had sex then and our sex life had been what I thought was really good before um both of us had quite high sex drives but then after children my focus was them and sleep and I wasn't getting any sleep and he moved out of the bedroom so he was in a different room so he could sleep so that he could work. I didn't particularly want him to be in bed with me awake all night either, so I felt that was fine. But there was no physical connection with us at all. We didn't cuddle or anything, so sex didn't happen. And then I fell in love with a woman. So my partner and I hadn't had sex for probably at least a year, and I fell for a woman who was in a relationship with another woman already. And we, I told my partner that this woman and I had started flirting and he said, what would you do if she wants to take it further? And I said, well, maybe I would try. And I thought he might say, don't do it. You know, what's going to happen to us if you do that? And he didn't say that. So I did it. And he knew 
he asked me, has anything happened? And I said, yeah. And he left. He, he uh, works in, in Bristol and he went to the office and he called me and said, I'm not coming back. And that was it. He didn't come back. What did you make of that? I felt like our relationship was over anyway, even if it hadn't been for the woman. So much resentment had built up from him. He felt like my life was easy. He was out working all day. He would get home just after the kids were in bed. So I was doing the children and the nights that he felt his life was harder because he was out at work and I wasn't as supportive as I was before we had kids. We'd had so many years together where the focus of my life was him and then we had kids and it wasn't anymore. So it sounds like a few things all came together that meant that relationship ended. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you did have a connection with this woman who was already in a relationship. Mm. What went what went on there? That wasn't a good relationship with her at all. She was very damaged. She had a really difficult childhood and that affected her, affects her now. She's a controlling bully, really. So I would see her only once a week. She would come and visit me and I would never know what mood she would be in, whether she would want to go to bed or to have lunch or whatever. So I was constantly guessing how best to please her and often would get it wrong. Yeah, I was very consumed by that. And looking back, should have ended that way sooner. She said she would leave the other woman for me. And part of me wanted to her to, but part of me was really afraid of that as well, because I couldn't see how she would fit into my life with my boys. And I'm really glad that that didn't happen. So, yeah, that ended and I was not sure then whether I wanted to date men or women. I couldn't see myself with another man at that point. Um, so I thought, well, I'll try going on dating apps and see if I want to be with a woman. I felt like perhaps I could only love her. It was something specific about her and that maybe I wouldn't find another woman attractive in that way. So I went on to dating apps and from then I, I saw women only for 10 years. Mm. I had, had some really good relationships, but they would often get to a point where the woman wanted something more. She wanted to move in with me or some bigger commitment. And I wouldn't ever want that. There would be something stopping me from wanting to take it to that next level. So my relationships were often 18 months to two years, something like that. And then I would, it was mostly me that would end it. It sounds similar to your earlier life when you were talking about having fun connections with with women, but not taking it really further or more seriously. Yeah, I did. I did really feel very emotionally connected to them and felt like I loved them, whatever love is. I do question that. <laughs> um, but they were, there were a couple who were younger than me and one of them wanted a child and I already had kids and felt like I got out of that stage and definitely didn't want to go through that again. 
And sometimes I would feel like I was I was their main source of happiness and I felt a bit weighed down by that. I don't want to be that for anyone. I want someone to be happy without me and I'm an addition to that. I'd feel suffocated and like I was responsible for them emotionally. So Kitty, as you're describing all this, I'm wondering about where the kinky side of you starts to come into play. Well, my last relationship with a woman, she was a lot younger than me. And I, as I said earlier, I felt emotionally responsible for her happiness. And that worried me, it stressed me all the time. So I wanted that. I wanted to be free of that. And it was at the beginning of the pandemic, I started to think, well, maybe I could have sexual connections with men that didn't involve that. They're not interested in that, that they wouldn't want me to be totally committed to them. And uh, I wouldn't feel responsible for them in that way. So, and for those 10 years, I, I didn't want sex with men and I felt like I never would again. Um, but then started to think about it when I was with my last girlfriend and wondered about us having a threesome to see how that would feel. But she was completely gay and wasn't interested in that. So when we split up, I thought, well, I'll see how I feel about having sex with guys again. And I think that idea really solidified when I was with um, a close friend who was looking online at guys. And I said, you've got your age filter set too high. Why are you looking at guys that are 50? <laughs> I don't think you'll find them appealing. So I slid her filters down and was looking at guys around 30. And I thought, oh, actually, I quite like them. So she didn't. She wasn't interested. She wanted a, a full-on long-term relationship. So then I switched my filters on my dating app from women to men and looked at younger men and was kind of scared when I swiped right on some guys and then made connections. So it was during the pandemic that I had my first date with a younger guy. He was 30. And... I hadn't touched anyone for a year, I don't think. Probably not even hugged my kids very often. They weren't very cuddly at that point. And we'd had that whole thing about being two metres apart or whatever. So it was a really intense meeting with this guy because he'd had a similar experience of not being physically close to anyone for a long time. And he came to my house. We just decided to been the going for a walk or a drink or whatever <laughs> so he just came around and, and we were in bed within 15 minutes I think and it was really good so both of us were a bit nervous and he knew my history yeah and it was great we spent a few hours in bed and I just felt different to when I was younger having sex with guys I felt as though I could say this is what I want to happen and I definitely wasn't going to let him go before I came. <laughs> and I also had loads of vibrators now that I, I didn't have when I was younger. So I feel very comfortable saying, you know, I'm going to use my vibe while you do this or whatever. So so that happened and, and we had a really good time. And I and after that, I I dated other guys in the last couple of years. Most men that I've seen are around the same age and I just feel 
far more comfortable telling them what I want. And I also told the first guy, I want to be in control. I absolutely don't want to be thrown around in bed by you. So if that's what you like, then it's not going to work for us. So I want you to lie on my bed and I will do what I want with you. And that was partly came from slight fear about having sex with men again. I I, I didn't want to be like the majority of women in porn. That sex doesn't do anything for me. So, yeah, after that experience with him, I felt much happier being in control. And so then with other guys, that was amplified slightly by me realizing I absolutely love that element of control. Um, so how about I tie you up <laughs> and tease you? And and that's how my kinky side developed from, from there, just realizing I like being in control and, yeah, doing things the way I want. You're not going to be the one leading the show. And also it sounds like more of a confidence in expressing and directing what you wanted. Yeah. And I'd had great sex with women. Um, and I don't know whether it's true for other women who have had relationships with males and females, but with women, there was never any pressure to orgasm, really. And that made it easier <laughs> because we just really wanted to please each other in a very equal way. And also sex wasn't over. When when someone had orgasmed, it, it wasn't over. It would just carry on until one of you dies or surrenders. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I knew that men could please me in the same way if they wanted to. You know, there was, there was no reason why they shouldn't do that. So you had a good foundation of that that experience with um, women over time. Yeah. Kitty, thank you so much for all of what you've described so far about your life and your formative experiences and more about your sexual history. What we're going to do now is deep dive into a fantasy that you described. So to start, it sounds like we're going to set the scene. You're saying I'm lying on my back. 